The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You're listening to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Week in Fantasy Baseball. I'm Lee Keller, joined by John Kuh. In this last episode of This Week in Fantasy Baseball for the 2022 season, we will talk about the injury notes and roster moves, highlight the best player performances from the past week, and discuss how our first year of hosting the podcast went. But John, how was your week? Well, Twins officially got eliminated. So, you know, officially have nothing to look forward to in terms of playoff baseball. Uh, but it was, I mean, it was all right. I got to see Shohei Otani pitch on Friday. Um, he walked a lot of people because it was cold and wet in Minnesota. So I uh, just wasn't able to get a good grip on the ball. Command was all over the place. Um, but still, you know, fun to see a guy hit and then immediately uh, take off the batting gloves because he needs to go on the mound the next inning. So that's not something you get to witness every day. So, uh, yeah, glad I was able to at least watch Otani in person. How about you? It was a pretty good week. A lot of flares and dramatics with the Mets and the Braves watching that whole race go back and forth. So that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I actually had some vested interest in the game that you went to. I actually picked up Taylor Ward in, I think, two different leagues, and he had two homers in that two game. Two solo homers, yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty cool for me, but not for your twins, obviously. But <laughs> It was it was really funny because we had a local kid, Louis Varlin, pitch. Okay. Um, he's he went to He went to college in St. Paul. Um, but you know, big, big hometown crowd, obviously for, for the guy. And then, um, Taylor Ward just comes up and then shuts up the crowd with a solo homer to the second deck. It was just like, ah, oh, yeah, it's one of those games. <laughs> <laughs> it always seems that way when you're like, oh, come on, go local kid, go. And then he just gets hammered. Right. I mean, Varlin actually ended up doing all right. It was just really funny that like of all the people, Taylor Ward, you know, yeah. is the one who hits two solo shots that night. Yeah, the guy who started off hot as lightning and then just cooled off and then somehow yeah. comes back to form. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, he he's going to be one of the more fun stories this year. Um, I mean, basically for two months, he was the best player in baseball. So Yeah, that's undeniable. His numbers were pretty remarkable after those first two months, and he really fell off in the middle part of the season, but it's yeah. good to see him rounding it back out. Maybe he gives us something to think about for next season, so. Yeah, I mean, it looks like at least that the Angels don't have just Mike Trout and Shohei Otani out there to hit a ball. They actually have other people. But um, yeah, consistency is just the name of the game for that team. They're so inconsistent. Yeah, even Luis Renjifo looks pretty good for that team, too. But it's just that team is so infuriating. Just as a baseball fan, you have Trout and Otani, and we say this all the time, but you have Trout and Otani and you just squander every opportunity that you have to do anything with those two generational, if not once-in-a-lifetime players. It's just pretty crazy how you can mess that up. Yeah. I I mean, I don't want to make this an Angels podcast, but, like, Jared Walsh, right, was just kind of like this guy who, you know, a really solid bat at first base and just completely imploded this year. Um, I had him on one of my fantasy teams, and it was just really sad to watch that. Uh, And it was a dynasty team, so I couldn't really, like, justify dropping Jared Walsh. Oh, okay. But at the same time, I'm like, I feel like I have to start him because he might turn it around at some point. But, yeah, that team. And then, you know, David Fletcher. Even Anthony Rendon, who fell off the cliff and gets hurt. Yep, that's tough. And, I mean, they're pitching. 
I mean, they had your guy, Syndergaard, for, yeah. for a couple months and then eventually traded him to the Phillies. But... And he's actually been pretty okay with the Phillies. And yeah, in relief. okay with the Angels, too. But... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he just wasn't the, the same Syndergaard, and that was just tough to watch. No, yeah, it's just, I don't know, man. This Angels team is just infuriating. But before we get into even more Angels headaches, I'd like to remind all of you that you could follow our podcast on Twitter at ThisWeekPL, and you could send us your questions and comments to our email at ThisWeekPLPod at gmail.com. Really, not much to ask with no time left in the season, but if you have any questions, feel free to send us an email or tweet at us. If you want to ask about anything fantasy-related, be sure to write us an email or send us a tweet. Lastly, make sure that you subscribe to or follow the podcast on whatever streaming platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, we're on all of them, so make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, and if it's possible, leave a five-star review if you enjoy listening to us. It helps us out a lot. Now, let's get into the injury notes and roster moves from this past week. We start with Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners, who was placed on the 10-day IL on Friday, September 23rd, with a lower back strain. He's eligible to return on October 3rd, and is expected to come back on that day, so good news for that, it's not a serious injury. Jordan Alvarez of the Astros was not in the lineup on Wednesday after rolling his left ankle in Tuesday night's game. X-rays came back negative for any structural damage, so Alvarez should be considered day-to-day for now. Lance McCullers Jr. of the Astros was scratched from his start on Tuesday due to an illness. No other information came out, but hopefully he just got a bit of a cold. Spencer Strider of the Braves was placed on the 15-day IL on Saturday, September 24th, retroactive to September 21st with a left oblique strain. He felt something in his left oblique while attempting to throw off of a mound on Friday, so you know the Braves will be extra careful with Strider as the playoffs are approaching. He's definitely not going to pitch again for your fantasy baseball team, so if you're in a redraft league, you can safely cut Strider or put him on your IL, and obviously, in a keeper or dynasty league, just hold on to him because he's a pretty hefty asset. Starling Marte of the Mets won't be returning off of the IL once he's eligible. Mets manager Buck Showalter told reporters on Wednesday that Starling Marte's return to the lineup is not imminent. So I'm not sure when he comes back, but hopefully he comes back by the playoffs because we certainly do need him. Wilson Contreras of the Cubs returned from the 10-day IL on Monday, September 27th. Corey Seager of the Rangers has missed two straight games after being hit by a pitch on his left forearm during Tuesday's game. He's considered day-to-day for now. Dustin May of the Dodgers was placed on the 15-day IL due to back soreness. May said that he's completely confident that he'll be ready for the NLDS, so you most likely can't count on him for fantasy purposes any longer this season. But if you're a Dodgers fan, that's good news that May will return. Tony Gonsolin of the Dodgers will return from the IL on Monday. The plan is that in his first outing back, Gonsolin will throw three innings, so he's most likely not going to be a big contributor for the rest of the fantasy season for you, so if you're in a weekly league or roto league, you can probably bench him for a better option because he's not going to throw many innings for the rest of the regular season. Justin Turner of the Dodgers has missed two straight games due to a shin injury. Brandon Lau of the Rays was transferred to the 60-day IL and is officially shut down for the remainder of the season. And last but not least... Trevor Story of the Red Sox is also no longer expected to return this season. Between a lingering left heel contusion and a non-COVID illness, Story will hang up his cleats for the remainder of the 2022 season. John, any comments on any of the injury notes and roster moves? Just a few this week, not too many, but some substantial ones. Yeah, uh, it's lists like these that make me prefer head-to-head leagues that finish up their playoffs like by the second week of September. Yep. Because it's, I mean, guys like Julio and and Jordan, like the odds that they come back and play when there's nothing to play for, you know, kind of like meaningless games from the next week. It's like the Astros have no reason to have put Alvarez back in for any of the remainder of the games. If, if it's like, oh, you know, we want him to be healthy for the playoffs. Um, we also got the first round bye, so yeah, who knows what they do with that? If someone like Corey Seager was actually in a playoff race, maybe he does play, you know, these two games. But because the Rangers are no longer in any sort of contention, there's no rush for them to, to get Seager back on the field. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, you and I, we're, we're in the Pitchless Podcast League. We're in the finals, and we have Jordan on our team. And I'm wondering, is it crazy that I'm considering that we sit him next week? Because he might not even play any games. Yeah, that's the hard thing is I don't like when your fantasy season goes this long. You know, this is like the cutoff point for me. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, first of all, I love fantasy baseball. Like, I'm obsessed with fantasy baseball. I love it. I'd love to play as much of it as possible. But in head-to-head leagues or in weekly leagues, at this point, if you're in the championship, 
this is the most infuriating thing in the world. Like for most of my playoffs in my home league, we used to stretch it out for the entire season. And we just recently changed that to be about two weeks before the season ends in real life. And it's so much better because there's been so many times where I'm in the finals and Mike Trout is sitting because they have nothing to play for or a guy gets injured and there's no need to rush him back. It's just the most infuriating thing possible. So if you're playing fantasy right now and you're playing meaningful games where you're in the playoffs and you have Julio or Jordan or Spencer Strider or Marte or Seager, you're just like, man, what can I do? And now you're replacing them with lackluster guys and you just feel like you're not going to win. So it's very, very frustrating around this time with these kind of injury notes. Yeah, I will say, though, September is a great time to play DFS. That's whenever that's always when I would play it because it's like the the regular season's over. So I'm like, oh, I have nothing to play for anymore because I'm out of the playoffs. So I'll just play DFS. Yep, and then, absolutely. Uh, it's just like fun guys to pick up because, you know, you have all these guys getting September call ups and you're like, yeah, I'll give this guy a shot. Why not? Um, so <laughs> that that's what I enjoyed doing in September when baseball seems a bit more meaningless. It's just like, oh, I'll, I'll just I'll just play some DFS. I think that's the best time to play DFS is right when your fantasy league is over and there's like one or two weeks left in the season and you can just yep. kind of watch baseball, enjoy baseball, and just like make some side bets. You know why not? Yep. It's like the exactly. best time to do it. Yeah, there's so much variance and it's it's just nice to you know not have to basically play all chalk players. So oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Well, for the last time this season, we are going to our weekly performance recaps. Uh, Again, we are referencing the Batters Box and the SP Roundup articles. They're incredible resources that you need to check every single day just to see how players performed. Um, Yeah, just a shout out to Dave Swan, Jim Chatterton, Mark Strebinger, Adam Howe, Kevin O'Brien, Ryan Amore, Josh Thusat. All these guys crank out one article a week uh, for the batter's box and they've been helpful for us as we've been referencing them um, and they do not get enough accolades for all the work that they do. And of course, Nick Pollock for putting out the SP roundup article every single day. Uh, Thanks to him for helping us be able to talk about pitchers a little bit easier, but getting right into it, starting with the weekend, September 23rd to 25th, Albert Pujols of the Cardinals went two for four with two runs, two homers and five RBIs. You know we had to start the show with talking about La Machina. He made history on Friday, becoming only the fourth major leaguer to reach 700 home runs, joining Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, and, of course, Barry Bonds. Funny enough, I don't know where you were when when he hit this homer. Um, I was at the Twins game, but we were pretty much checked out at that point. We were actually in kind of like one of those uh, one of the bars that they had um, in the upper deck. And MLB Network was just on TV, and we were like, oh, you know, it would be really cool if, you know, you could see like Pujols hit a homer live, right? Like how awesome would that be? And then we look at the screen and it says like, oh, Pujols just hit 699. And then he, he was, the video showed him doing like a home home run trot. It was like, oh, great. He got the 699. And then we saw a number in the bottom left of the screen saying 700. And we just realized <laughs> that we had just seen Pujols hit his 700 homer, which is amazing. Um, And it was not like a, like a one that barely got over the fence. It was deep left field. So it was cool, cool to see that basically live um and, and be able to witness that so um yeah but pools has actually had a really decent season this year um he has an ops of over 800 which is uh i think the highest he's had in several years and carlos are going to be in the postseason um you know postseason stats i don't think they count towards um the home run count they do but not. you know they do not yeah so who knows maybe, maybe he'll phantomly get to 714 and and you know we can pretend that he passed ruth um but yeah, good for Pujols. Obviously, it's cool to see. Yeah, people were making a big thing already on Twitter about like if Pujols didn't hit 700, they were going to be like, oh, well, postseason homer should count. In that case, Pujols has 715 or something. Like, I forget what the number was, but yeah. people were saying mm-hmm. like already making excuses for if Pujols didn't hit 700 that he should have <laughs> 700. You know, So yeah, it's funny to see that. But yeah, it doesn't count, which is kind of weird. I think it should. Like, the more you play, your stuff yeah. should count. I don't know why it yeah. doesn't, but I, it makes sense if everyone's on the same timeline. Because if your team makes it to the playoffs more, like, what, is someone a better player than Mike Trout because they've been to the playoffs more and accumulated right. more stats? Exactly. It doesn't make yeah. much sense. But for me, like you said, you don't know where I was. I was actually at home just hanging out, and I decided to load up Apple TV because the game, for some reason, was on Apple TV. Right. Yep. And 
I brought it up and I watched 699. I was like, oh my God, I, it happened. I got to watch it. That's really cool. So, yeah. and that one was a bomb. That one was way deep left field. No questions asked. He knew it off his bat. Like it was no yeah. problem. Cleared it easy. And that was really cool to see. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And then he steps up again. And the coolest thing, because I was texting my dad and I was like, Pools hit 699. He's like, I can't believe it. And then I was like, I'm watching now. So if he hits 700, I'll be able to watch it live. Yeah. And he steps up to the plate and they had a lefty on the mound and they pulled yep. him, which I think it was Andrew Heaney. And yep. they pulled him and they brought in Phil Bickford, which is a hard throwing yes. righty. And I'm like, oh man, yep. they're going to not let Pujols go for 700 against a lefty. It's going to be a righty. Right. And I'm like, he's going to do it though. You know, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feeling, you're like it doesn't matter who's on the mound. He's going to do it because just, yeah. you know, why not? So mm -hmm. he stepped up and hit a homer off of Phil Bickford and it was beautiful. It didn't yeah. go super far, but it was a blast. Like no doubter once again. Right. But, it was still a no doubter. Yeah. It was still a no doubter for sure. But it was awesome to see that because, I mean, that might be one of the last times we ever see someone hit 700 home runs. And it's just incredible to see someone of his caliber. Like, I've watched his whole career. As a kid, I watched him growing up, and now I see him being 40 years old and taking infinite time to round the bases for home runs. And <laughs> it's just really cool because Pujols is a class act, no steroid allegations or anything. And just to see him at 700 was really special. So I'm very, very happy for him. We've been rooting for him all season, and it's great to see him finally do it. Yeah, I, I'm glad he got to it, and I'm I'm glad that we're able to talk about it on the podcast. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Saturday, Oscar Gonzalez of the Guardians, two for four, two homers, two runs, and two RBIs. Again, I don't want to continue beating a dead horse, but Oscar Gonzalez has been really, really good in September. He's slashing 300, 330, 509 with six homers and 19 RBIs this month. He's been a big catalyst for Cleveland as they clinch the division title in the AL Central. I would... Keep an eye out for Gonzalez at 2023 drafts. I, I don't really know where he's going to go. Like, a, a lot of people are probably going to say that this was just end-of-the-season hype, and I kind of want to believe that. But he could be, you know, a sneaky good late-round pickup. You can hit for average. You can hit for power. He sounds like basically a guy that you could easily slot in as maybe even your number two outfielder, and you won't really have to worry too much because you know the Guardians are going to play him. And then finally, Kyle Schorber, the Phillies, two for three with two homers, three runs, two RBIs, and two walks on Sunday. It's been an interesting experiment this season having Schwerber at leadoff for the Phillies. It's hard to argue against the 42 homers that he's hit at that position. He's leading the National League in those numbers. Of course, it comes with a 30% K rate, which is the highest strikeout rate among batters with over 400 plate appearances batting leadoff. But he also has the second highest walk rate among the same group. So it's like, you know, good and bad with that. Ultimately, though, it does mean that he has the lowest OBP among that group of batters. So, yes, he's walking a lot, but... When he's not walking or hitting a homer, he's basically striking out and flying out. So yeah, Schwarber still has three more left. Schwarber still has three more seasons left in Philly on his contract. I'm curious whether they're going to continue having him bat leadoff. Um, it kind of worked this year. He he got on base. Uh, that's kind of the goal of a leadoff hitter. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't know if it really ended up being kind of the the success that maybe they were hoping. Yeah, it's really strange. So I'll talk about Schwarber first, then I'll talk about Oscar Gonzalez, but. Kyle Schwarber, I was very high on this whole season. You knew that. I had him yep. pretty much everywhere. He was someone that I needed to have because I really believed in Kyle Schwarber. And, hey, it worked out. I mean, obviously yep. the average was really low, but the 42 homers is second in majors. And, I don't know, he's been great this season. But so many curious red flags, like the walk rate's good, but the OBP is low and the strikeout mm -hmm. rate's horrible. And he really doesn't get many RBI because he bats leadoff. It's such a weird dynamic for a player like yeah. him. I want to know why they don't lead off JT Real Muto or Nick Maton or someone like that or Bryson Stott and then put Schwarber second and then either Nick Castellanos or Real Muto third and then Harper yeah. fourth. Like, I feel like they can have such a different lineup construction that would be better. But once again, yeah. I'm not in that position to make a lineup. So yeah. I don't know. I just, it feels so strange with Schwarber because. This is his potential, and if he did 42 homers from the three spot, he probably has mm -hmm. like 120 RBI. Right. Yeah, it's so weird because they, they bat Schwarber first, and then they bat Reese Hoskins second, and then, you know, when he was healthy, I'm pretty sure Harper was batting third. Yep. And then they had Castellanos batting fourth, which is like four straight power hitters, which is like, that's great. But also, like, you need to win games. You kind of need guys on base to, like, take yeah. advantage of that. Um, so yeah, it, it did feel weird that they, they weren't kind of taking advantage of all the power hitters in the lineup. And it, it's like what you said, right? Schwarber got 42 homers, but how many, how many of those were with a guy on base? Right. A lot of them uh, were solo shots. It's pretty remarkable to think that 
just because you're probably best power hitter. He's probably a little bit more of a power hitter than Bryce Harper. Like Bryce Harper can have mm-hmm. more homers than him, but I'll give Schwarber right. the edge to power. To have your biggest power bat batting leadoff is strange. Like Schwarber's got a great eye and he's obviously taken a lot of walks, but yep. I don't know. I just, I like to see him in the second or third spot more than the mm-hmm. one spot just for his right. stats, for fantasy purposes, at least, because it could work right. for regular baseball but for fantasy i'd like to see the counting stats go up a little bit and then oscar gonzalez to make your point i like him a lot as a sleeper in 2023 i think a lot of people are going to forget his name so here's Mm -hmm. a quick disclaimer do not forget the name oscar gonzalez because if he has regular (laughs) playing time this guy might be a sneaky adolis garcia where he's giving you 20 homers 20 steals and you know a serviceable average in obp like if you can grab him in round 18 I'll take him over a lot of the other guys that are going before him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. Like he's he's one of those guys where you're just gonna kind of I feel like you're just gonna forget. Yep. Because you're gonna just chalk it up to a hot September. You'll look at his season stats. You're like, oh well, you know, that wasn't that great. But then you realize like he all did he did that in like basically two months. So yeah. Yep. Um. Yeah. yeah definitely keep an eye on, on Gonzalez next year. Uh, moving out to pitchers, Dean Kramer of the Orioles went nine innings, zero and runs, four hits, two walks, and six strikeouts against Houston. Something must be in the water for these Oriole pitchers because after Jordan Lyles finished a complete game, giving up only one run, Dean Kramer followed up a couple days later with a complete game shutout against the Astros of all teams. Kramer dropped his fastball usage from a season average of 34% to only 12%, instead relying on cutters, curves, and changeups to get whiffs and strikes. Could that stick? Uh, it's hard to say. He did struggle on Wednesday against the Red Sox. He only had four whiffs on the night. But giving a full offseason to continue developing those breaking balls... Uh, who's to say that Dean Kramer can't be a reliable pitcher in 2023? Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins, eight innings, one and run, three hits, one walk, and 11 strikeouts against the Nationals. Just given the Cy Young already, Alcantara had another dominant start, picking on the poor Nationals, finishing the night with 21 whips. He's so incredibly efficient, too. He got through eight innings with only 99 pitches, so definitely could probably could have gone more if, if the Marlins let him. Uh, I really just hope he's this dominant next year as well. We saw a little bit of that last year, and then he kind of tailed off a little bit, had a little bit of a, of a of a cold streak. But this season, he's just been on the entire season. It's it's been really fun to watch. Then then Christian Javier of the Astros, six innings, zero and runs, one hit, no walks, and eight strikeouts against the Orioles. It's performances like these that leave you scratching your head and wondering why didn't the Astros just have Javier in the starting rotation on opening day? They love Jacob Rizzi that much, I guess. Um, enough to trade him, I guess, midseason. Uh, Javier picked up 13 whips, nine of those coming on his four-seamer alone. He's top 20 in ERA and whip, and he's fourth overall in strikeout percentage as well. Javier's definitely going to be a guy to keep an eye out next year. Yeah, he's not like the ace of the Astros, but he is really, really good, and he's got really good stuff. Um, I would like to see maybe better secondaries because he, he, his four-seamer is amazing. His other stuff uh, could be a little bit better, but... Uh, you can't argue against the results that he's had this season. Yeah, Javier was actually someone who was in a relief role and was dominating. And then when he switched to being a starter, he fell off. He was stinking. But now that he's got a full-time starter job, he's mm-hmm. really run away with it and has looked really dominant. So he might be a guy that you want to take as like a top 30 SP next season. I It's so hard because it's a fine line to walk and pitchers are so hit and miss, but... He mm-hmm. looks like he's very promising. I mean, he's had more of these starts than bad ones this season, and that's yeah. saying a lot. So Javier's definitely someone to look out for for next year. Sandy Alcantara, obviously, just probably the Cy Young winner for the NL. I don't know who would really compete with him. Like, Corbin Burns was great, but not as good as he was last year, and probably not yeah. as good as Sandy. Scherzer was great, but doesn't have a lot of innings. Mm-hmm. I don't really know who else could compete with Alcantara this year for the NL Cy Young, but... He's been so good and just obviously one of the best pitchers in baseball. And then Dean Kramer, eh, whatever, great start. <laughs> right, exactly. That's kind of how you want to chalk it up to. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to Monday, September 26th, from the Batters Box article, Don't Get Mad, Get Vlad, from Mark Stubinger. We start with J.D. Martinez of the Red Sox. He went two for five with a homer, a double, two runs, and an RBI. It's been a fall from grace for J.D. Martinez this season. He's 35 years old now, and although we've seen cases like Nelson Cruz and Jim Tomei, who were able to keep hitting the ball over the fence well into their 40s, it's starting to seem like the beginning of the end for J.D. He only has 14 home runs this season after hitting one on Monday and another on Thursday. His barrel and fly ball rates are the same as they were last year, but other metrics like average exit velocity, max exit velocity, hard hit rate, and pull rate have taken a big hit. 
He's down 80 slugging percentage points from last season, and I'm not feeling too confident about him going into next season, especially because he's a DH. He's not going to play in the field, and if your DH is hitting 14 home runs, I think there's better options out there. The average is still solid, but the power seems to have dwindled away. I'm really not that confident on J.D. Martinez. We'll see what John thinks in just a moment, but J.D. is not someone on my radar next year. Then we have Cedric Mullins of the Orioles, who went 2-for-6 with a triple, a homer, two runs, and three RBI. Going into drafts this season, Mullins was going as high as the second round and as late as the fourth round, and either way, he was mostly worth it. He followed up his first full season, where he posted a 30-homer, 30-stolen base campaign in 2021, with 16 home runs and 32 stolen bases this season. Currently, his slash line is 261, 324, 10, which is 30, 40, and 108 down from last year, and his home run to flyball ratio has fallen from 15.5% to 7.8%, which is not great, but Regardless, I think Mullins is a solid fantasy contributor and is worth a third to fifth round pick again next season. It might be a little bit of a debate because if the bases get bigger, then Mullins might not be one of the top stolen base guys and more people might steal. So maybe he falls off a little bit in that regard. But I think Cedric Mullins is really solid as a fantasy contributor. And then shout out to Cedric's teammate, Anthony Santander of the Orioles, who went two for six with two home runs, two runs, and three RBI. The two home runs gave him 31 on the season, which is the first time that Santander has eclipsed the 30 home run mark. So big shout out to you. The Orioles have been fun to watch this year. Yeah, JD, man, JD is weird because I was looking at his stats and like literally average hasn't changed. OVP hasn't changed. It's literally all the power statistics. So much worse this year. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of alarming at how much it dropped off, you know, um, kind of the examples you had Nelson Cruz, Jim Tomey, like Nelson Cruz arguably had like some of his better seasons when he was older. Oh yeah. Um, and I mean, the JD's 35, I, I don't want to say he's only 35. He, I mean, 35 is, is pretty old for, for a hitter. Um, it just, when you say stuff like barrel and flyball rates are the same, it it makes me think like his eye is still good, yeah, right? Yep. He's still able to lift the ball and and you know and get the sweet spot on it. But then when it's stuff like average exit velocity, max exit velocity, like that's stuff that for the most part you can control. I mean, you know, it, it's always hard to debate. You know, do pitchers control or do hitters control exit velocity a bit more? Um, I'm just curious whether there's just some some injury there that he that just made it more difficult for him to hit this year. Um, and then Cedric Mullins, yeah, a 15-30 season is, is really solid from Mullins. Um, obviously, I don't think anyone was expecting him to repeat what he did last year because that was right. insane. Um, but yeah, 15-30, pretty solid. Um, like, that speed, you cannot take that for granted. So, uh, good for him. Yeah, without a doubt. J.D. Martinez is such a weird case, too. It's because, like I said, he's a DH, so he's not going to play the field, and he might not get everyday playing time. Like, he might become, like, a Darren Ruff, where he only hits against lefties or something. Like, I don't know. I just, I'm kind of scared of J.D. Martinez. You'll have to keep an eye on him in spring training to see if he's got that power back or the exit velocities look good, because, I mean, if there's no power there, I mean, he's got 14 home runs and, like, 53 RBI. Right. Sure, the average and OBP are great, and that's good in average leagues and stuff, but... That's not going to do it, man. There's so many better options. Right. And then the weird thing was that he was really healthy this year. He didn't yeah. spend a single day on the IL. So it's like, I just don't know what's up with with, uh, with JD. It, it literally might just be that he's old. It that, could that be. That might be the only and, answer at this And point. I don't want to say like 35 is very old. Obviously, for a professional athlete, it's starting to get up there and whatnot. But he just fell off so quickly. It, it's kind of shocking. Yeah. I... It's yeah, it's kind of incredible how how far um, the stats have have gone down because yep. uh, ISO like dropped like almost a hundred points I think, um, which is you know just looking at isolated power which that I mean that's a huge that's a huge drop off. Oh, that's big. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough to see. I mean he he was obviously had some really good years with the Red Sox, um, but hopefully this isn't the end for him. Uh, yeah, hopefully he kind of is able to come back next year at spring and then. And look like the old J.D. Martinez we all knew. Definitely. Now, moving on to pitchers from the SP Roundup article, The Elder Strolls, which is awesome. Obviously, play on The Elder Scrolls from Nick Pollock. We start with Bryce Elder of the Braves, the title boy himself. Nine innings pitched, no earned runs, six hits, one walk, six strikeouts against the Nationals. What a game from Bryce Elder. Now, Elder is not a particularly dominant pitcher. He throws a 90-mile-per-hour fastball. 
This was more of a reflection of the horrible Nationals offense, but still, he was able to throw a complete game shutout, and that is impressive no matter what team you're up against. He's not someone that's on my radar at all for next season, so let's not go crazy here, but his next matchup comes against the Marlins, so if you want to roster him for the remainder of the fantasy season, I won't question it. He's excusable because that matchup is too good to pass up. And then we have Kevin Gosman of the Blue Jays. He went 6.1 innings pitched, two earned runs, six hits, one walk, and seven strikeouts against the Yankees. He had 14 whiffs and a 33% CSW, which is a nice golden gold day for Gosman in this one. So far in his first season as a Blue Jay, he's put up a 330 ERA, 123 whip, 12 wins, 17 quality starts, and 201 strikeouts in 171.2 innings pitched. He's got one more start against the Red Sox, so you're obviously throwing him out there for that one. But overall, it's been a pretty good season for Gosman. The whip was a little higher than you'd like for it to be, but I chalked that up to some pretty bad Babbitt block. He has a 272 batting average against this season, as opposed to the 210 he posted in 2021 and 221 in 2020. The strikeouts were there, the innings pitched were there, the quality starts were there. I'm personally very happy with what we got out of Gosman this season, and I'm looking to draft him again next season. His strikeout over walk rate was actually the highest it's been, which means that all his whip has been coming on hits. Yep. Um, his bat is 362 this season, which is incredible. Yeah, so um, high. And he only has a 330 so ERA. That's so impressive. And, and pitching in Toronto, his home run per nine actually went down. Yep. Um, so Gaussman, uh, yeah, I, the, the big knock on Gaussman this season has been the whip. And... But he, he still has command of the strike zone. He's, he's He basically had his lowest walk rate of his career, which is incredible. Um, and, yeah, you just kind of hope that the Babbitt luck turns it around because clearly he is still a good pitcher. Um, it was just frustrating at times when he would just give up, you know, five earned runs in a start. Um, so That splitter is still one of the best pitches in baseball, and yeah. it generates a crazy amount of whiffs, and he's turned his career around since going to the Giants. And it's great mm-hmm. to see. I, I truly believe in Kevin Gosman. I think that he is a top 20 pitcher, maybe even top 10. And I'll still treat him as such going into next yep. season because his Babbitt can't be this bad again next year. No. It, well, I mean, we hope. But of yeah. course, we hope. Yeah. But I yeah. personally believe it can't be. I mean, literally, he just got singled to death more than anybody. Yeah, it's true. I would argue Logan Webb also got singled to death a lot. Very that's true. Also, that's also the nature of how Logan Webb, like, plays baseball. Like, he's a ground ball guy. Like... That's not really Gaussman's play, so um, yeah. And I guess I don't know if the, how interesting this is, but his ERA, right? You mentioned uh, a three-three ERA. His his FIP was two point four two. Yeah, see, that's what it's I'm almost about. a point lower. Yep. Like, I'm not saying that Toronto has bad defense because I mean they got Chapman up there, and yeah, and yeah. Vlad's actually a really good first baseman. Um, but yeah, it's kind of weird how that that big disparity between the ERA and FIP. Yeah, I believe in Gosman for that exact reason, because that Babbitt was just ridiculously high, and his home run percentage went down in Toronto. I mean, there's a lot of good signs about Gosman, so I'm very high mm-hmm. on him for next year. I think that even though this isn't what you want out of an ace, 330 ERA, 123 whip, he gave you the quality starts, he gave you the strikeouts. I think it's only going to get better for Gosman. I think he's still legit. But... Right now, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday's performance, as well as what the future holds for this week in fantasy baseball. Stay tuned. And we're back, and we're going to be starting on Tuesday, September 27th, with the Batters Box article, Santander is coming to town from Jim Chatterton. Uh, Starting off with Jose Altuve of Houston, uh, three for four with a double, two home runs, four runs. Two RBIs and a walk. Uh, really productive day for Altuve. He's been on fire since the All-Star break. He's been slashing 326, 411, 548 with a 174 WRC+. Plus. Um, basically, borderline MVP numbers for the last two and a half months of the season. He's also tacked on 11 homers and 10 steals. The two dingers on Tuesday brought his season total up to 28 homers. And with a week left in the season, he just needs two more homers and steals. To finish with a 30-20 season. He's actually never done that before, surprisingly. Wow. Um, After a few seasons with single-digit steals, it's good to see Altuve back as a reliable source of speed. Another guy who's fast, Ronald Acuna Jr. of Atlanta. Two for five with two homers, two runs, and two RBIs. It's been a tough season for Acuna, not only coming back from injury that he sustained last year, but also dealing with uh, just other injuries this year as well. 
He has managed to shine, though, in, in moments, and Tuesday's performance reminded us of what he can do with two 110-mile-an-hour-plus solo shots. The struggles have mainly come from a much lower five-ball rate this season. Seriously, check it out. It's it's kind of incredible how much he is not lifting the ball. Um, Atlanta will definitely need him to do that more if they hope to compete deep into October. It feels too simplistic just to tell Acuna to lift the ball. I think like that's a, that's a dumb thing to say. But <laughs> the reality is his fly-ball numbers are incredibly low this season. He's still hitting the ball hard, just it's not going up. He's having the Vlad Guerrero Jr. issue mm. where he literally cannot lift the ball and his ground ball rates a little bit more and he just is not hitting the ball up. He's just kind of driving it down instead of up. And if Vlad right. Jr. can fix it, I'm sure Acuna is going to fix it too. His caliber of talent is too high to not fix it. So obviously yeah. you can't just walk up to him and be like, yo, what are you doing? Just lift the ball a little bit more. <laughs> right, yeah. Launch angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, launch angle. What are you doing? Uh, he'll figure it out. He's too good not to. And then Jose Altuve, I mean, I absolutely love Altuve. I am not an Astros fan by any stretch of the imagination, especially after what they did with the whole cheating scandal and everything like that. I am not a big Astros right. fan. But right. I love Jose Altuve because – I was also short and played baseball, right. and I love rooting for that guy. So Altuve yeah. is just incredible. And also, he's carrying us in the Pitcherless Podcast he League is. as well. So yeah, give true. us a few more good performances, Altuve. I, I have him in my home keeper league as well, and I drafted a lot of him. Just a lot of people were out on all the Astros last season yeah. after the cheating yeah. scandal. They were like, oh, we're not drafting him. I took Altuve in the 14th round last season, and he's a three-year keeper. So I will take that all day long. Right. Yeah, Jose Altuve was like the patron saint of short guys. And then, um, yeah, the cheating scandal happened. And we're like, yep. oh, come on, dude. <laughs> yep. But the I... one thing I can say for any doubters and whatnot, Altuve mm -hmm. actually did not cheat, if that makes anything better. There's a lot of videos and articles about how Altuve didn't benefit at all from it because he got the least amount of bangs because he would actually get mad when they would bang on the trash can for him. And they said, don't do oh, yeah. that. I don't want it. So I yeah. truly believe he wasn't wearing a buzzer or any of that stuff. Like none of that was actually proven. They obviously yeah. did the whole garbage can thing, but Altuve right. did not benefit from that. So I truly believe Altuve is just a special player. Yeah. When he hit that walk-off homer in the LCS a couple years back, I just remember just being like, man, I love this, but I love this guy. Yep. <laughs> yep. Of course, that's why, that's why literally all the proverbial crap hit the fan, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Moving on to the pitchers with a Game Oberman uh, article from Nick Pollock, uh, starting with Bailey Ober, my boy. Of uh, the Twins, 7.1 innings, zero and runs, two hits, one walk, and 10 strikeouts against the White Sox. It's been actually a really tough season for Ober. He spent 125 days on the IL in 2022. He was supposed to be a strong back end of the rotation guy for the Twins, uh, you know, just providing good innings for out of the number five and number four spot. Um, but yeah, he's just been hurt for pretty much the entire season. Uh, Tuesday's performance was a strong indicator of just how good Ober can be. He relied on a four-seamer slider combo, got 12 votes on the slider of loan. Uh, you know, it's still one start. Don't know if it's completely legit. It is against a White Sox team that also didn't have anything to play for. Um, but yeah, Ober could be a really strong piece for the Twins next year. Um, could be, like again, a, a really solid number four, number five guy uh, back into the rotation. But being able to deliver really good performances like this. And then Hunter Green of the Reds, six innings, zero runs, four hits, three walks, and ten strikeouts against the Pirates. Green has put together a decent rookie campaign, albeit maybe not the electric season we were all hoping for when he was just a young 18-year-old high school senior throwing triple digits and hitting dingers. Um, I still remember that draft because the Twins had the number one pick, and they were choosing, you know, a lot of the news cycles were, uh, is they going to pick Hunter Green? Are they going to take Brandon McKay, who are like basically two of the top-end two-way guys at that point, and that was also right at the cusp of the Shohei Otani sort of two-way experiment. Of course, they ended up going with uh, Royce Lewis, who has shined a little bit in his few games in the majors. Of course, he's hurt now, which kind of sucks. Um, but yeah, Green was the guy, you know, throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs, and he was just launching balls out in California. Um, but this season, the ERA and the whip haven't been too pretty. The K-rate is elite, though. He's shown the ability to miss bats and limit hard contact, so clearly the stuff is there. He just needs to get better command. Um, again, that feels like it's too easy to say, but that's kind of his issue. He walks a lot of batters. Um, and that's just maybe just the youth, um, you know, that, that just be a guy who just is up at the majors and is learning how to throw to major league hitters. So um, hopefully uh, another se good season for Hunter Green next year. Uh, we'll see how he improves over the offseason. Ober is someone that's really intriguing because he can be very good. And like you said, I think he's a good like SP4 for the Twins. And I think mm -hmm. he just has that potential to be a solid starter and even beneficial for fantasy purposes. Like he's got yeah. some good stuff. And like against the White Sox in this start, seven innings pitch and 10 strikeouts is 
Definitely good. That'll play. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I like Ober a lot. And then as for Hunter Green, I have a question, but I will first say that since he went to driveline and he started doing that whole program and working mm -hmm. on his stuff, he's been much better and he seems like a different pitcher. So it's great to see that he still has the velocity. He just needs to get the command in line. And yeah. that's where it really makes him a top elite pitcher or just another guy who throws fast and can be decent. Mm -hmm. So yeah. hopefully he improves on that. But my question is in my homekeeper league. Yeah. I have a choice now. I'm not sold, but I'm going to put it between these two guys and see what you think. Now, yeah. I can keep Hunter Green in the mm -hmm. last round for three years. He wasn't a free agent. He was drafted in the last round. So I can keep him in that round for three years. Mm -hmm. Or yeah. I could keep Jesus Lazardo in the last round, but he's a free agent. So he would go to the 10th round the following year and then the 5th round the year after that. Oh. I don't have to keep tough. them for three years, by the way. I can let them go whenever, but that's right. like I could keep Hunter Green for three years in the last round, or I can keep Lazardo 23rd, 10th, 5th. Yeah. I think in a common theme of this podcast, I'm going to go with Jesus Lazardo there. Okay. And then I, th and then I think you don't keep him the next year because he's yeah, definitely not going to be worth a 10th round pick. Well, if he um, breaks out, I think he might be worth the 10th, but never maybe. worth the 5th. Yeah. Never worth yeah. the 5th. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think he's better than Hunter Green. I agree. Um, his stuff is a lot better. Um, Hunter Green still technically needs to work on decent secondaries. He he relied a lot on... He kind of figured out pretty quick that, um, oh yeah, my fastball is actually really hittable. Um, <laughs> and so he would throw a lot more sliders. Um, but he still needs to work on that. I think Luzardo, on the other hand, has a complete arsenal. He just needs to be healthy. Yep. And for a guy that you're drafting at the end of your drafts, like, I really like the upside of Lizardo a lot more. I agree with that. I would also lean Lizardo, but it's enticing to keep Green for three years in the final round. That's the only thing. Oh, that's for sure. Like if, if, he pans if he pans out. Breaks out yeah. yeah, if he breaks out next season and I can keep him again in the 20, that's a big, big price to keep. So I yeah. like that a lot. But Lizardo, I think, is a better pitcher. So I think you're right on that one. But yeah, moving on to Wednesday, September 28th from the Batters Box article, a man walks into an Escobar. <laughs> love that. <laughs> Absolutely love that title from Dave Swan. We start with the title boy, Eduardo Escobar of the Mets. He went three for five with a homer, a run, and five RBI. We spoke about Escobar last week, so I don't want to take too much time on him, but this was an incredible game for Eduardo. He had all five RBI in the five to four victory over the Marlins, including a walk-off single in the bottom of the 10th. It's been a tale of two halves for Escobar. He was dreadful in the first half with a 93 WRC+, plus, which is not even close to league average, but has now increased his OPS by 160 points in the second half. He told Mets fans that he was going to give them something to cheer about from him. And man, he has fulfilled that promise. So love Escobar. His post-game interview from that game was hilarious. Go and check it out on Twitter. And then we have Chaz McCormick of the Astros. He went 3-for-3 three three with a homer, a run, two RBI, and a walk. It was a perfect night at the plate for McCormick, who has actually had a decent season. He's not usable in shallow leagues, of course, but in a 15-team, five-outfield sort of league, he's not the worst option. He slashed 241, 327, 405 with 14 home runs and four stolen bases this season. He's cut his K percentage by six points and bumped the walk rate up to 11%. Those sort of improvements with everyday playing time in that Houston lineup is bound to bring you some success. So Chaz McCormick may be a good deep league option. And then, of course, I have to mention it, just like Albert Pujols did hitting number 700, Aaron Judge of the Yankees hit his 61st home run in Toronto, tying the AL home run record of Roger Maris, the most hit by a Yankee ever. 61 homers, man. He's got a week left. I think he's going to get 62. I don't know how many more he'll get after that, but what an incredible season from Judge. Do you personally think this is a top five offensive season of all time? I mean, I feel like you have to give it to him, right? Like, yeah, I think so, too. Okay, here's the here's the like maybe the one blip is that he doesn't currently have the triple crown. Like a rise wrestled it back for a couple days. Um, we'll see if Aaron Judge actually gets the actually gets the um the triple crown. Even if he doesn't get the get it though, like I feel like this season has been amazing. For I mean, first off, just being able to hit 61 home runs in a season where everyone was like, oh, the the ball, you know, like the humid humidors, they're, they're they're sapping offense, and then yeah. Judge is just like. Uh, hold my beer, you know, <laughs> like just yeah, just incredible. He just like I'm just gonna be amazing, and um, yeah. So 61 homers, obviously, it's huge. Uh, I, I we talked about this last week, but he basically is single handedly carrying that Yankees team because oh yeah, big time. No one else on that team is 
doing much. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kind of incredible what he's doing. Um, would I, I? I mean, I don't I don't have like the WAR numbers in front of me. I am kind of pulling them up right now, or the, or the WRC plus numbers in front of me. But this has to be kind of like one of the best years that we've seen from a player for sure. Like when Ted Williams hit 400 for a whole season and was mm-hmm. insane, like that's got to be one of the best offensive seasons. Obviously, Barry Bonds' year was incredible where he had 73, if you yep. count it or not, with steroids and whatnot. But that's still an impressive season. There's, you know, Babe Ruth seasons. You have Hank Aaron season. So there's a lot of impressive years out there where you can say, hey, that's the best offensive performance ever. And mm-hmm. this has got to be up there. I mean, the fact that he can hit, 62 home runs, no steroids in his walk year where the second most home runs in the league is like 42 is mm-hmm. pretty remarkable. Yeah, I just think that there's no way that this doesn't go down in the record. Even if he doesn't get hit 62, right? Like, this is still by far one of the best seasons that we've seen, at least in recent history. Oh, definitely. Um, I really so. hope that he wins the Triple Crown. That'd be really cool to just put an exclamation point on the whole season. Yeah, I mean, I begrudgingly would would give it to him, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, it would be really fun though, like a little bright spot for the Twins to have Arias win the batting title. So yeah, for sure, Ab- absolutely, I completely understand that. But yeah, moving on to pitchers from the SP Roundup article, the Zen Garden from Nick Pollock. We start with Bryce Wilson of the Pirates, who went eight innings pitched, no earned runs, three hits, one walk, and six strikeouts against the Reds. I spoke about Bryce Elder, now Bryce Wilson. If only Bryce Harper did something notable this week, then we'd have the trifecta of Bryce's. But Wilson is another underwhelming pitcher named Bryce, but you can't deny that this was an excellent outing against the Reds. He has the Cardinals next, so if you manage to stream him for this one, which congratulations, because that's insane, I'd cut him loose for his next matchup against the Cardinals, so... Definitely don't hold on to Bryce Wilson. Both Bryce's I'm not interested in next season. Then we have Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers, who went six innings pitched, no earned runs, five hits, one walk, and ten strikeouts against the Cardinals. At the beginning of the season, we were all worried about Woodruff. He didn't look like himself and was getting rocked. However, since he's come back from the IL, he has been dominant. This start marks the fourth consecutive start with ten or more strikeouts. He struck out 11 Reds twice, 10 Yankees, and 10 Cardinals in those starts. He's got a 305 ERA, 109 whip, 13 wins, 14 quality starts, and 183 strikeouts in 147.1 innings pitched this season, and is still one of the best pitchers in all of baseball. Obviously, he's only got 150 innings this year, but that's because he was hurt multiple times, so it's great to see him still be great, and I'm definitely ranking Woodruff as a top 10 starting pitcher going into drafts next year. Can't really change my mind on that. I think he is absolutely nasty. 37% CSW in this start. Pretty crazy. And then Justin Verlander of the Astros, he went seven innings pitch, one earned run, six hits, one walk, and eight strikeouts against the Diamondbacks. I just wanted to share that Verlander dominated the Diamondbacks and now has more innings pitched than Burns did last season when he won the Cy Young Award with a much better ERA. So between Verlander and Cease right now, John, who do you give the Cy Young to? Oh, I had a feeling this question was going to come up. Yep. Um, I feel like I have to give it to Verlander. Okay. Um, the consistency this season has been incredible. Um, I, I mean, I will say Cease has had higher highs. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, right. He's had higher highs, but he's also had lower lows. Um, and Verlander has just been so dominant this season. Um, if you want to knock him for the two weeks he was on the AL, I guess you could. But, like, it, okay, so he has less innings than than Cease. I still think he's just been so dominant day in and day out um, that it's hard for me to say that he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, I completely agree. And their innings pitch discrepancy is not as much as you'd think. Right now, they are currently nine innings apart. So I'd say maybe oh, okay. maximum they'll be ten innings apart by the end of the season. Yeah, That's not a big difference. I mean, the only plus for Cease is he has a lot more strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Verlander has 175 Ks, and Cease has 222. So that is pretty remarkable. Also, sure. believe it or not, Cease has a lower batting average against. He only has a 188. Verlander has a 190. That's not much of a difference. But the thing mm-hmm. for Verlander is, and I think this is the big thing which you can give it to him, obviously wins don't matter as much since Felix Hernandez and Jacob deGrom proved that for the Cy Young. Yep. Cease has 14 wins. Verlander is 17, not big, but the big thing is the walks. Now, 
Cease has given up 74 walks in 179 innings pitched. Verlander's given up 28 in 170. Yeah. That's pretty remarkable. And obviously, yeah. Verlander's ERA is 180. Cease's is 206. And Verlander's whip is 0.85, which under one is remarkable. And Cease's yep. is 109. So they're mm-hmm. really close, but I think you got to give it to Verlander. Right. Yeah. It is kind of one of those things where you look at you look at their stats and it's like, there's no real knock at Verlander's game. Like, the only knock is that, yeah, he doesn't maybe strike out guys as much as he used to. Whereas yep. with Cease, it's like, he's really good in every category except walk percentage. Yep. Yeah, that's the thing. And that's what's crazy, man. It's going to be such a close race. I mean, mm-hmm. Cease was obviously more exciting because of the strikeouts and just, yep, you know, he's young sure. and fresh. But Verlander, what he's doing at his age is just remarkable. I mean, come mm-hmm. on, man. That's just right. unworldly. I mean, that's why I think you got to give it to him mainly for the walks, the low whip, and the wins. I mean, when you're comparing people like this, you have to nitpick because mm-hmm. normally I wouldn't care. Like, if Verlander didn't come back this season, I think I said this before, I would have gave it to Cease. I think Cease would be the so, winner yeah. for sure. If if Verlander mm-hmm. finished with 150 innings and Cease had 180 and this was the same stats, I give it to Cease all day. But now that they're 10 innings apart, you can really nitpick and I give it to Verlander. Mm, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, hmm, I wonder what stats do you value and what stats you don't right Right. like that that kind of is is the issue i mean like if you really want to nitpick too it's like verlander's had 21 quality starts and cease has had 16 right yep which means that again you know quality starts being what they are you can still give up three earned runs and still get a quality start so you know there's a there's a little caveat there but Basically, Verlander's been more consistent and been able to pitch deeper into games more often than Cease has. Um, and I think because of that, I'm, I'm just more inclined to give it to Verlander. I completely agree. I think that Verlander should win the AL Cy Young. And then also just shout out to Jose Quintana of the Cardinals and Joe Musgrove of the Padres, who both had great starts. Quintana's against the Brewers and Musgrove's against the Dodgers. Great showings from both of them, especially because Musgrove was facing some sort of injury and he might have went on the IL, but instead he came back and dominated the Dodgers. So good work to both of them. Yeah, good on Musgrove for turning it around because he he had some really tough Yeah, it was bumpy. Yeah. Well, moving on to Thursday's performances, we're going to start up with Javier Baez of the Tigers. Two for four, two RBIs, and a homer. Man, the season that could have been for Baez, right? Like, he, he signed for six years, $140 million, and all he gave was 16 homers, 63 RBIs, nine steals, a 241 average, and a 677 OPS. Yikes. Um, yeah, <laughs> other than the short season, Baez has not done this poorly since probably his rookie year. Um, it's hard to say whether he's going to improve because... You know, it, this this has been kind of consistent. He has been kind of going down in his performances. But he is only 29. There's still a lot of career left for him. The Tigers signed him for six years. He's got five more years left on that contract. You kind of hope that he's able to turn it around. And, I, I mean, I don't think he's going to ever get back to that, like, 30-homer guy that he was back in the day. I, I just don't see that as a realistic outcome for Baez. Um, but at the same time, like, he's not... I don't think he's this bad of a player. Uh, what do you think? I've never been a big Bias fan. For fantasy, he puts up the counting stats and numbers like homers and steals. Yep. But everything else is like, what is going on? And especially because <laughs> I am a head-to-head aficionado, yeah. Bias is the most streaky player ever. So yep. I've never been invested in Bias. I think he's not this bad. I'll agree with that. I don't think he's this bad. I think it's just the first year on a new team and new league jitters. And, you know, he's Maybe. going from the yeah. NL to the AL. So even with, you know, he was on the Mets for a little bit, but he was on the Cubs, then the Mets, and now he's in the AL. So there's a little bit of an adjustment period sometimes when you're facing new pitchers. So I don't think he's this bad, but I'm just not interested in him, especially for fantasy. But I think he'll have a better season next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with him. Um, speaking of the Cubs, though, Seiya Suzuki went two for three with two hits, a triple, and a walk. Uh, I'm highlighting this actually because uh, Seiya's a new dad. Um, he went on paternity leave on September 17th, and there was actually rumors that he probably wasn't going to actually come back um, and play for the rest of the season because he was. I think he was traveling back to Japan, actually, uh, for the birth of his kid. But he he's back. Um, he played a game on Thursday. Uh, he, he got two hits, like I mentioned, including a triple. His season slash tonight is now 267, 340, 440. So it's not bad. That's a 780 OPS, which is oh, pretty close to 800. It remains to see what Suzuki can actually do in the majors, but this season has been a pretty good introduction to the player he can be. 
you know, that OBP is, is pretty solid. Um, it kind of ranks in the top 50. If he had more at-bats, he actually, you know, if he qualified for those types of rankings, you know, that, that's pretty solid for a rookie. Um, obviously, we had a lot of little fun power um, boost at back at the beginning of the season, which we've talked about before. Uh, remains to be seen whether he that power is going to translate into the majors. He had a lot of power back in Japan. It's kind of insane, actually. Um, but yeah, what do you think about Suzuki? I mean, what do you see as his outlook? I think Suzuki can be very good. I think we mentioned this in a podcast maybe two weeks ago or three weeks ago yeah. where mm-hmm. I think Seiya Suzuki is going to be one of those guys where he is very, very good. And a lot of people that come over from Japan either struggle or dominate. And we've seen that with you know, Ichiro, obviously dominated. We've seen that with Shohei Otani, dominated. But then we see people like Tsuyoshi Shinjo and... You see someone like, what was his name? Shogo Akiyama. Like, there's certain guys where I don't see their path to the majors or their success in fantasy, at least. And Seiya, mm-hmm. I can see it. I can see the path. He's shown us flashes of greatness, and I believe that he can do it over a full season. He just needs to stay healthy, and he just needs to work out a few minor kinks. But besides that, I think Seiya is very promising, and I would like to take him in drafts a little bit late, maybe like the 14th to 16th round and just kind of take a flyer on him because I think he could be a 30 home run guy. Just a side note too, because we write these notes a little bit before we record and we're recording this on Thursday, but we're in the fourth inning of the Texas Seattle game and Mitch Hanniger has two home runs, both two run shots. And yeah, Hanniger's crushing it. And also a guy named Ford Proctor of the San Francisco Giants at his first career home run and it was a grand slam so uh, the name ford proctor is just pretty interesting you gotta mention it right just yep. uh weird enough that it's like it catches your eye so. yeah i had to i saw ford proctor hits grand slam i was like who is ford proctor and then i saw right. mitch hanniger hit two home runs so we gotta mention it speaking of which taylor ward hit another solo shot yeah today, so yep he's on fire now <laughs> good for good for taylor ward uh, moving on to pitchers on Thursday, um, Eduardo Rodriguez, the Tigers, 6.2 innings, five hits, zero in runs, four walks, three strikeouts against the Royals. Uh, it was a race for the bottom of the AL Central, and Rodriguez helped pull the Tigers out of the cellar with nearly seven shutout innings. The Royals are currently the worst team in the AL Central now. Um, he got 15 whiffs on the afternoon, seven coming up on the changeup alone. Uh, it's been a challenging season for the former Red Sox. He, you know, came to Detroit. This year, was hoping that a change in scenery would result, result in better outcomes. Um, but he struggled to strike out guys out this season. He's been giving up free passes at a near-career high rate. Um, he also had you know, that kind of uh, situation in the middle of the season where um, he basically took an extended leave of absence from the team. Uh, but now he's back. Uh, it's certainly good for him to end the season on a high note. Um, you know, the four walks aren't great. The, you know, the whip's not great. But, you know you're able to end uh, with, with shutout innings um, and, uh, you know, cruise to a win, which is good to see for Erod. Uh, Jeffrey Springs with the Rays, six innings, three hits, zero earned runs on five strikeouts against the Guardians. Uh, Springs did all he could to help the Rays attempt to clinch a playoff spot, although they did end up losing the game. Um, he came up with six six shutout innings against the Red Hot Guardians. He earned 14 whips with the bulk of those coming on his changeup as well. Among pitchers who's thrown have changed up over 500 times this season, uh, Springs actually ranks in the top five in terms of swinging strikes on the changeup alone. So he clearly has the stuff to be a good pitcher next season. Uh, remains to be seen, though, uh, how much the Rays uh, trust him because we all know Rays and then how much they love to tinker with their pitchers. And another guy I just want to shout out, um, Eric Lauer, was able to go five innings today. Pretty solid outing for him, actually. Only only gave up one hit and nine strikeouts. Um, that's kind of the Eric Lauer we're all hoping to see this season. Um, he just he was coming back from injury. The Brewers have been stretching him out, um, which is why he only went five. He actually pitched uh, seventy one pitches this uh, on Thursday, so it's actually it's a little surprising they didn't let him go a little bit more. Um, but yeah, great great outing from Lauer. Um, it is kind of unfortunate though because they are currently fighting for a playoff spot, and it looks like they are going to lose this game too the Marlins, which is a little unfortunate. So um, it was kind of a win, and they would leapfrog the Phillies for the number three spot. Uh, But it doesn't look like that's going to happen tonight on Thursday, at least. Yeah, so Rodriguez, Springs, and Lauer are all guys that are interesting for drafts next season because they all have pretty good stuff. They've got good potential, but they're probably like top 50 pitchers 
in the grand scheme of things, top 50, top 60. So yeah, you really just have to pick your poison on one of them and just really gamble on all these guys. But they could all be very good. I could see them all being top 30 SPs if everything breaks right. But it's a lot of things that need to break right. Yeah, Lauer is actually one of those guys who I was picking up a lot on waivers. You know, I'd pick him up for a start, drop him, pick him up for a start, drop him. Um, he clearly has the stuff to be really good, and the Brewers obviously have a really good, uh, really good development program for pitchers. So I don't, I think he can only get better. He clearly has the the swing and miss stuff. He had nine strikeouts today. Um, so. Yeah, he's definitely one of those guys I have my eye on next year. I don't know if I'm going to draft him, but definitely he's going to be one of my guys on the waiver wire. Springs is interesting. You know, it remains to be seen whether they'll let him go six innings and games and things like that, but the Rays are going to Ray. And then, yeah, Erod. Uh, we'll see if he improves at all. Yeah. Um, he is kind of, you know, kind of a little bit over the hump now with where his career is at. Um, so we'll, we'll see if he kind of get back to the form back in like 2019, 2020 when, you know, he was an ace for the Red Sox um, and, uh, yeah, that'll be fun to, fun to watch real quick before we talk about the future of this podcast, breaking news right now, the Mets oh, are boy. calling up their top prospect, Francisco Alvarez. Hey, let's go. So if you have any shares of Alvarez or if you can pick him up in your keeper leagues, dynasty leagues, you should already be owned, but. Francisco Alvarez gets the call, so big shout-out to him. I'm excited to watch him play on the Mets. That's going to be really cool. So we could definitely use help because Nito's been all right and McCann is horrible, so it's great to see (laughs) Alvarez get the call. But let's talk about the future of this week in fantasy baseball. Let's try to keep it a little bit short, but first of all, I wanted to just say thank you to everyone who listens to the podcast We hope you enjoyed the entire year of us reviewing each week of fantasy baseball. Hopefully it helped lead you to some championships or just be smarter for fantasy baseball. So we really appreciate it. John and I both appreciate it from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much for listening to us for an entire season. Now, we want to hear from you all about what we could improve on. Did you like the podcast? Is there things that you would change? Is there something you want us to add? What could we do to improve? Now, John, real quick, what do you think we did well and what do you think that we can improve on? Well, I mean, I, I think we did a really good job in attempting to cover the week in fantasy baseball. There's a lot that goes on um, every single week. And, and like we mentioned, we couldn't do it without it, without the pitcherless staff uh, with their articles every single day. Um, so, yeah, I think it was it was a good breadth of information. You know, we didn't always focus on the aces and the all-stars every single week, even though we did have that running joke of talking about Jacob deGrom every week. Um, <laughs> we didn't talk about him this week because he actually didn't have that good of a start. And we didn't Saturday. talk about him last week either. That's uh, that's true, yeah. So deGrom, uh, you know, all jokes aside, I think we, we did a pretty good job in covering people. Um, you know, we tried to bring in interview guests that we thought were interesting and, and would have interesting uh, uh, players to talk about. Um, you know, maybe you learned something. Um from you know maybe about having Smith or Zach Allen or uh, Cardinals pitchers before we you know unfortunately uh, cursed them all. So um, <laughs> that's probably something we could work on is, is maybe not cursing our uh, yeah our our, our featured players. Um, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I, I think things to work on. I don't know. I mean, like things like streamers. You know, those are always tough. Um, I, I would love to talk about hitters more. We, you know, we, we talk about pitchers a lot every single week and in the past few weeks, we, we tried to talk about hitters as well. And, and honestly, like streaming hitters is almost, is just as important as streaming pitchers. Yep. If you're able to get those guys before the rest of your league does, um, it really pays off. And so being able to, uh, find those, you know, those gems in, in, in the rough, so to speak, um, It'd be, it'd be cool to talk about hitters, I think. It's just a little bit harder because that player pool is so much bigger. And who knows when a guy is going to be actually up to bat. Um, obviously, it's easier with pitchers because we can see out into the future in terms of schedules. Um, but yeah, things like that, I know, the, those are kind of some things where I'd be like, it'd be, it'd be nice to have maybe a little bit better, uh, more content surrounding hitters. Yeah, I think we did really well overall. And I'm not just being biased because it's us in our podcast, but... I think we did really well overall. It's hard to condense everything that happened in a week and highlight the most important things and keep it within an hour. I think the things we can improve on is the guests being different and even maybe taking people from outside of pitcher lists. Like we want to highlight pitcher lists for the most part because 
that's what we're doing. We're shouting out all of the writers and all of the content creators over on Pitcher List, and we're so thankful for everything they do because it is literally the best fantasy baseball website out there. So it's great to see all of the information coming to life and not just reading it, but you can hear it from us as well. So it's really cool that we're able to give our spin on things as well and add some information. But I think we could add a few more variants when it comes to guests and talk about more things. Like instead of just a Cardinals rotation, maybe we talk about, you know, like John said, hitters, or we talk and dedicate an episode completely to relievers or stuff like that. And maybe like one show, we do a ranking episode of where we rank the top 50 pitchers and something like that. I think we could just switch it up a little bit more because obviously at the end of the day, we want to recap the week in fantasy baseball, but I think we can add a little bit more of our flavor in as well. I think we did good with not sounding like robots and not just being <laughs> computers and stuff. Like we made things fun and we had questions and we, we had fun and debates. And I think we did a good job of that as well as just giving out the information. But I think we can just make minor improvements that makes things a little bit more fun and interesting rather than just, you know, reading off stats and player names. So I think there's a little bit more to improve on, but I think it went really well for our first year in the podcast biz, John. I think we did pretty well. And once again, we'd like to hear from all of you. If you have any concerns or comments about the show if you really loved it if you don't think we should change anything if you think we should change stuff please let us know at our email thisweekplpod at gmail.com you can also tweet at us at thisweekpl on twitter so please let us know what you think of the podcast what we should do we're going to resume the podcast we're going to probably do an episode at the winter meetings we'll do more of spring training now that we have an actual podcast platform we know what we're doing and we know what to expect we're going to highlight most of spring training going into the season and then do the full season again. So we have a lot of expectations for next season and we're going to start the podcast a little earlier than we did this year. So that's going to be really cool. But once again, any feedback, please Twitter at this week, PL email this week, PL pod at gmail.com. You can also find John at the John K on Twitter. That's T H E J O H N K E and myself on Twitter at Regicidal, that's R-E-G-I-C-I-D-A-L. Follow us both on there. Give us feedback individually as well. We would appreciate it. Also, please subscribe to the Pitcher List podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to your podcasts at. Make sure you follow and subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review if it's possible. And lastly, sign up for Pitcher List Plus by doing so. You can join us in the Pitcher List Discord and get advice from all of the fantasy experts and writers over there. But... That is all for this week. We will be back next season to recap all of the weeks in fantasy baseball. We hope you enjoyed all of the episodes of this podcast. Go back, listen to them, give us feedback. But thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to us and giving us a platform to talk about baseball. For John, I'm Lee. We'll see you all in the next one. Later, everyone. Later, everyone.